fact, that's probably the worst taste in my mouth from the entire game was our tackle. It's like it's like a, it's like a drink in IPA. It's a real bad taste <laughs> in my mouth. <laughs> Welcome, everybody, to the R&R CatCast, a fan-based podcast focusing on Montana State athletics. We're two dudes named Ryan from the state of Washington talking about our dear Montana State. We hope you enjoy. Welcome back, Bobcat fans. Texas Tech is in the rear view. 2019 Gold Rush is upon us. Got your two Ryans ready to talk some Bobcat football, so let's get this thing going. How are you doing tonight, Thorny? You know, I'm not bad. It was a Labor Day, had the day off from work, did a bunch of much-needed housework. Pretty good day. How about you? It was great over here. We did a lot of yard work, cut the yard, wife planted some new plants. It's looking good. Yeah, I've, I've seen your pictures. You're going full dad mode on that lawn. I like it. I love taking care of my lawn, man. It's meticulous. <laughs> Do you, do you mow in like zigzags with a pattern? Oh, yeah. I, I have ever since I was in high school, man. A little known fact about Ryan Foley, I used to want to be a professional grounds crew keeper. I wanted to work at a major league baseball stadium and do all the designs in the field with the mowers. I love it. But, uh, it didn't work out for me with the education route, and uh, <laughs> I'm pretty glad I, I did. I'm so the opposite. I just want to like mow as fast as humanly possible, get out of the way, and not even think about it. I hate mowing. Well, there's a difference between you and me right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a good dad, I guess. There you go. So, tonight's show, uh, we're looking at Cats Lose in Lubbock. Uh, we're doing a little CMO preview. Uh, we have a special guest, Tom Davis, from CMOball.com. He was kind enough to join us last night, and we recorded a, a brief interview with him that we'll play uh, in this podcast. We're going to take a look at some of our bold predictions uh, that we had last week. We'll talk some bold predictions this coming week and uh, play some buy or sell on the back end. But first, what are we drinking tonight, Thorny? Tonight, I have the Rocky Mountain Kolsch from Upslope Brewing Company in Boulder, Colorado. It, uh, I like Kolsch quite a bit, especially in the summer. It's a pretty darn good one. I actually got it. In Montana, when I was trying to figure out other Montana beers, the guy recommended I try this. I grabbed it. I didn't realize it wasn't a Montana beer. I just I thought we were having a discussion about Montana beer guy. He led me astray. But it's delicious, so I guess it's all right. <laughs> I love their Citra Pale Ale. Again, I get it in Montana. I don't see it over here in Spokane. But Upslope does pretty good stuff. That's right. You've had one on the podcast, I believe. Yeah, that that does ring true. Let's see. So I have a Fremont Summer American Pale Ale from Fremont Brewery in Seattle. Uh, <laughs> Thorny, I thought I might read you the little the little uh, sentence they have on here because it's, it's pretty good. It said, Summer Ale tastes like tangerine flowers in a glass. Endless days brewed into the nectar of barley and hops. There you go. <laughs> well, all right. That sounds delightful. <laughs> So I'm sliding that into my golden koozie, and I'm ready to go. One of the ingredients in my beer is snow melt, one word. So I got that in mind. <laughs> That's just Colorado being Colorado <laughs> for you. <laughs> All right, let's talk some news, Thorny. Uh, Jeff Choke came out today with his presser, talking a little bit of Texas recap and uh, the CML preview. Uh, did you have any general thoughts on that? You know. I kind of liked the way he approached it. I was, and I'll get into it, I was a little concerned, and I don't know if this totally changed my mind, I was a little concerned that the staff, Jeff Choate, kind of treated the game kind of like a scrimmage just to test guys out to see how things went. But in his in his press conference, he definitely made it sound more like, hey, you know, a few things here or there that we planned and that if we would have executed on would have been a different game. So kind of changed my mind a little bit on that. But other than that, uh, nothing really struck out. I did like his comments about if you don't test yourself early, you pay for it later. I'm paraphrasing there, but I thought that was a pretty good comment about the game against uh, currently number 12, I think, ranked SEMO. So that was an interesting comment. And other than that, uh, yeah, good good press conference. What, do you, what did you think? Well, what struck me 
with his message today was how much of a plan Jeff Choate seems to have. And I don't feel like I'm shocked by that, but uh, you and I, Driscoll Cat, spent quite a few <laughs> text messages discussing our thoughts on the Texas Tech game. And we went between a lot of different uh, spots, but uh, it seemed like it wasn't as willy-nilly as we had might have been speaking. Uh, he was very, what well, I was going to say, he was very calculated in the way he talked about their game plan. And so I was really comfortable with how that all played out. And uh, it was just comfortable seeing Jeff Chilt, you know, saying what I thought he would say and just getting ready for a CMO. Yeah, I agree with that. And I also liked his comments about, um, you know, we're playing for November. He said something like that. We're going to, oh no, he said we're going to be better in November, guaranteed. I've done that every year. I've been here. Which kind of, what do you think? Do you, I don't know how much of a basketball guy you are, but do you feel like Jeff Choate's Bobcats are kind of like the Boston Celtics of the, of the few, few years ago? Like, yeah, they're not an average uh, regular season. And then once they get in the playoffs, they just take it to another level. It's like, and that being like the beginning of the year, we're kind of like, ah, all right. And then by the time November roll, comes around, we're rolling. Well, I would prefer that to how we were under Rob Ash, which seemingly was just the opposite of that, right? Sure. Yeah. We came out of the gates hot and fizzled out late. Seemed to be our MO under Rob Ash. Yeah. And what we got to think about too, you know, everybody's hyped right now. It's like first game, right? And we just been waiting for this for so long. And then, and the mixed emotions come out of Texas Tech. Guys, we got 12 weeks, uh, 12 week game guarantee. You know, not that's not including playoffs. And so just kind of pump the brakes, realize what the game was for what it was. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure Jeff Cho is going to write this. And like he said, you know, he guaranteed we're going to get better through the season. And he has, you know, and that's been his MO through his time here. So uh, there's no reason to doubt him on that. Well, we certainly didn't look too awesome against Texas Tech. So let's get into that. Let's talk about our Texas Tech recap. So this is the part of the podcast where I typically recap the stats. Uh, guess I will, even though, as we'll get into, this game doesn't mean a whole bunch, but the stats were not very pretty. We had eight first downs, a theme under Jeff Choate's uh, Troy Anderson offense last year, lack of first downs, really amplified against a team like Texas Tech. They had 35 first downs. <laughs> I mean, that's a beatdown if that's a score, 35 to 8. <laughs> Jeez. All right. They had 691 total yards, uh, 436 passing yards, 7.9 yards per pass, 6.5 four yards for rush for 255 more rushing yards. Uh, yeah, we won the turnover battle, so that was neat. Uh, we only had 289 yards, but we had 162 through the air and only 127 on the ground. Uh, yeah, we were pretty much stuffed both sides of the ball. Uh, yeah, there's the stats. Not very pretty. The one stat that jumped out to me that was really interesting was time of possession. They were pretty much equal. We had 29 minutes in change, and they were just uh, under 31. Yeah. <laughs> so I... They were scoring fast, and we weren't. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens when you have a two-play, 80-yard touchdown drive. You don't have the ball for very long. <laughs> Thorny, what did you like about what we showed at Texas Tech. So I actually liked what I saw from Casey Baum. I thought things got, like he was definitely slow coming out of the gate, but I never felt like he was overwhelmed by the atmosphere there, which is definitely something I was concerned about. He never had happy feet. He never, I guess maybe a little bit when he threw the ball on the ground a couple of times, but he really settled in nicely. I liked his arm. I liked what I saw. I liked, he escaped pressure a couple of times and extended the play, kept his eyes downfield and threw some absolute rockets. Although what I wouldn't like, what I didn't like from these throws is they're still kind of the duck balls, right? A little wob little wobblers. There need to be a little tighter spirals. And I'm not sure if it's, if that's footwork or technique or what's causing him to do that, but got to tighten that up. But I really liked what I saw out of him. And I think, I felt better about the quarterback situation after the game than I did before the game. Sure. Uh, Casey Bauman did seem to settle in, and that's pretty much what I liked as well. Uh, I liked his toughness mainly 
Uh, he stood in the pocket and just delivered when he was knowing he was going to take some big shots. And that's what was impressive. I also liked what I saw out of Isaiah and Fonze. The few times he was able to not get swallowed up immediately by the athletic tech defensive line. He definitely like uh, did that spin move out of a tackle, like classic Afonso, just like guy dead to rights on him and just overpowered him and just kept going. He had that really nice run. I got over, I mean, overall, his stats weren't great, but I, he looked fast. He looked strong compared to last year. And I think FCS defenses are definitely going to have a handful with the 2019 version of Isaiah Infanzi. That was the other thing I really liked. And the, I guess the third thing would be, I really like what I saw of our young guys just across the board. I liked what I saw of Demarius Hosey. I liked what I saw of Coy Steele. Obviously there's a, I don't see how anyone's going to disagree with that. And I liked what I saw out of the, actually the, the defensive backs. They they made some plays on the ball. They broke some plays up. They could they could have had one or two interceptions. Um, I thought our secondary play defended the pass pretty well, considering the offense were going. To- going into this game, I thought Vasher, their big wide receiver, would have had a bigger game. But yeah, between Tyre Gibson and like Zambrano out there, I saw him flash a couple of times. We kind of limited him. He was non-factor. Uh, no, I'm trying. To, I'm sorry. I'm just looking up his stats. Yeah, he had six receptions for 72 yards. So really, nothing gangbuster right there. Nope. What else did you did you like? Coy Steele flashed for me. Uh, he, I mean, Coy Steele is a guy that we always hear about but never really see. <laughs> I mean, you and I removed from Bozeman, so we don't get to go watch practices. But we hear the coach talks about him. But uh, good to see him catch that touchdown. I was good to see. Willie Patterson makes some catches and be a contributor. So uh, those are the only other two guys that kind of rose to my mind when we were thinking about what we liked. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a kind of a meg, you know, a little bit. So, yeah, I don't know. I, what I didn't like, Thorny, was like, it just seems so hard for me to gauge what like MSU is after this game. Because Texas Tech, I mean, their pace was so torrid. I've never seen a football team move that fast. Never. I mean, and we grew up watching Oregon, right? Um, it seemed like they were just on a different level. Uh, you know it was hot. They said it was 110 on the field. So all these like different factors that seem like outliers to normal competition that we see played into the game. And it just made me, when I walked away going, I still don't have a good idea of who we are, but I didn't feel like I... I didn't feel let down going away from the game. No, I agree. That's definitely how I would view it as well. Um, another thing I didn't like, uh, piggyback, kind of contradict what I said about Casey Bauman. I didn't like how many times he rushed the ball, and that might might be with play calling. But at the same time, I was, as I was thinking about saying that, I also realized, I remember Jeff Choate saying he wanted to get Casey Bauman hit. Remember that? Yes. So I'm wondering if part of that, having him get rush the ball so much was just to kind of get some hits on him just to settle him down like all right i'm getting hit by these big 12 dudes on defense and i'm popping right back up what do you think part of that was the plan or do you just think that they expect him to be able to run better against fcs defense i think a little bit of both um the thing that i questioned was so when we were in those you know, third and short situations, which we got into, which is a good thing, right? We were picking up some chunk plays early on and, you know, we're getting into like these, we had a couple of third and threes or third and fours or something, third and two or something like that, you know? And then Bauman tries to run it and he's, he's seemingly always a yard short. Man, that's the time when we put Troy in there and just let Troy do his thing, right? And so, uh, you know, that kind of led me back to what Jeff Choate said in the presser at the very end of the, it's like, why would we put anything out there that we were going to do? You know, we knew what this game meant to us. And, you know, we're essentially trying to be smart on this. So uh, this week is going to be a totally different animal. And um, so, yeah, I mean, those third and short, Casey Bauman running the ball, not being able to pick it up for the most part. Man, that was frustrating for sure. Because if we could have extended some of those drives, who knows what that score might have been. I'm not saying we would have won. But we definitely 
had some momentum at times that were stopped when we had those third and shorts and didn't convert. Well, for sure. We definitely flashed at times and had plenty of chances to keep this game within striking distance, at least going into halftime. I don't know how the second half would have played out, but we definitely had our opportunities and just couldn't quite make the play offensively. But those are plays I think will come as the offense gels more and Bauman gets more experience under. Yeah, so we're going to get better, man. He's going to do fine things for us as a Bobcat. Can we talk about the tackle? Or the lack thereof. Lack thereof. I oh, I knew we were going to have our hands full, but I did not expect their guys to just run right through us like butter like that. Why do you think that was? I don't know. I really don't know. I don't know if that's just a product of having a new defense coordinator still like learning where to be. I don't know if that's a product of not doing a lot of tackling drills. That's just kind of college football now. You're just not hitting each other in practice as much as you do. But uh, Texas Tech didn't seem to have any problem tackling us. I don't know how, if we broke any tackles outside of the one I remember is Isaiah and Fonze breaking that one tackle and taking another 20 yards downfield. But other than that, they bottle us up. So I don't know if it's just they were that superior athletically, but guys like Brandon Conkle and Chuck Way Allen, who I think will get looks in the NFL, I mean, just nobody could. It was just arm tackles, and nobody could just take a guy to the ground. Like They made the first guy miss almost every single time. Uh, it's too small of a sample yet. I'm going to wait and see before I put any kind of thought behind that. Oh, for sure. I'm not saying it's like a problem for the season so far, but if you're talking about things you didn't like from Texas Tech game, you have to bring up the tackling. Yeah, good I point. I did not like it. I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, that's probably the worst taste in my mouth from the entire game was our tackling. It's like, it's like, a, it's like a drink in IPA. It's a real bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. You take that back. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, uh, it's Texas Tech, man. Came and went. It was fun watching it. I'm glad, I'm glad it's done. Uh, I'm ready to move on. How about you? Me too. Um, the last thing, uh, what were your thoughts on? I, I would need to get this. We have to kind of get to this. What did you think of Troy Anderson at at Sam, his performance? I didn't really notice Troy at Sam. I kind of I was keying in on him a little bit, and they were moving so fast that he was just reacting a lot of time. Our defense looked like they were reacting. Uh, they weren't dictating their terms. They were reacting to what was happening on offense. So, and Troy had a fine game. Uh, I didn't see him like track anybody down that I didn't think he could until, or, you know, it's just, I didn't, I didn't think really one way or the other on Troy. How about you? Did, was he the one that got the roughing the passer penalty? Was that a roughing the passer? I was watching a sports bar with no sound. So I was trying to like, follow the thing. Somebody, somebody took Bowman down to the ground, like drove him to the ground. No, I don't remember that one, but I did remember one play where specifically I saw, what I hope we're going to see out of them a lot this year is they like had a pass out to the flat. Their running back was all alone, and Troy closed on him really fast. Like the guy was able to get the first down, but Troy really closed on him, hit him, and knocked him out of bounds. I don't know if you remember that play, but that was the one play where I saw like, oh, there's Troy Anderson making some speed. Those are the plays I expected. But other than that, didn't notice him. I mean, the guy probably noticed more than anyone on defense was like. Yeah, I can't even really think of like who just jumps out of my mind right now. Everyone is kind of just swallowed up by Texas Tech rapid pace offense, and everyone was just dead tired by the third quarter. Yeah, well, if you're if we're talking Troy, the Troy play that stands out to me is the bomb we missed to him that would have tied the game at fourteen fourteen if yeah. we would have hit it. So, nope, and he <laughs> had a step, and you know if he's catching that, he's not going to get caught. So that was, that was like, oh man, that was. I was just, oh, when that, you missed that throw, but like those throws will come. That's going to come. Yep. All right. Anything else you want to talk about with Texas Tech? No, no. Let's put it in the file folder and let's move on to SEMO. I agree. Um, speaking of SEMO, Southeastern Missouri State Red Hawks. You had a chance to watch their victory over Southern Illinois at least a quarter or two. I'm not sure you got to watch, but. You seem to have come away impressed by their size. Can you talk about what you saw? Yeah, two things stuck out to me when I was looking at SEMO. 
One being the size and athleticism I saw on defense. Uh, they just had some big dudes that could move, and I think they're going to really match up well. And then the second thing I thought uh, that stood out was their quarterback, Daniel Santa Catarina. He seemed a little bit like Jordan Johnson from the old Grizzly teams that we play, and he just never lost to us. You know, he just was really quick on his feet, but could pass the ball, would step up into uh, the pocket when, you know, max coverages, uh, you know, blanketing everybody. So he would just run and he just made plays. He was just a gamer. I was like, all right, man. I don't know why Jordan Johnson flashed in my head when I saw him, but that's who I was thinking of. And so <laughs> when I was watching that game, I'm a little bit more concerned now than I was. They were no slouches. They didn't look, uh, their secondary didn't look all that great, but their linebacker course, of course, with uh, Jake Hall in there being the Buck Buchanan winner, they're fast and they're aggressive. Well, I'm excited to see how our defensive line handles a like-talented team and one that is returning, or no, I'm sorry, they lost four of their starters from their last year's offensive line. So that should be one of the key matchups is how can our highly touted yet still you know unproven defensive line handle their fresh offensive line, their new offensive line. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, thanks for the recap of what you saw there fully, but we're going to try something different this year. What we have done is we reached out to Tom Davis, who is the regional sports editor for com, which I believe covers all sorts of sports, anywhere from like high school all the way to collegiate athletics in southeastern Missouri. Uh, but they also cover the SEMO Red Hawks. And we reached out to him, and we got a little interview with him yesterday, and it was a really good we got a chance to ask him some really good questions about SEMO, the team, and he's pretty excited about being able to come up to the Gold Rush game to cover the, the game, so he's excited to come up. And uh, I think what we'll do now is play that for you because, honestly, he's going to give us a better preview of the team than we could possibly ever do on our own. So it was exciting to get someone in to talk about an opponent, and why don't we play that audio for you now. Enjoy. Right now, we are fortunate enough to have Tom Davis, regional sports editor of SEMOball.com. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on tonight. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We have really been wanting to get someone to come and talk about some uh, out-of-conference opponents in particular because a team like SEMO, uh, not a lot of people in Montana State are going to know anything about. So it's good to have you on, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, and uh, your fan base will know about SEMO football by about uh, 11 o'clock Saturday night. They'll be well-versed in it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk a little bit more about SEMO. Uh, so where? just tell us a little bit about the university, where it's located, and kind of just the, the football program. Well, Southeast Missouri State University is in Cape Girardeau, Missouri, which is uh, about two hours straight down the Mississippi River from St. Louis. Uh, so uh, we sit right on the Mississippi River, and uh, it's about a 12,000 student university, public university. Um, it's in the Ohio Valley Conference, um, which was really prominent in basketball during the NCAA tournament last year with Murray State and Belmont both making the NCAA tournament. Sure. Um, but in, in football, um, Jacksonville State has won five consecutive conference championships. That's a university down in Alabama. So they've kind of been dominant. But Southeast Missouri State finished second last year and beat the living tar out of Jacksonville State in Cape Girardeau. So uh, um, Southeast Missouri State is an up-and-coming program, had its best season in history last year. And uh, after Thursday night's really, really impressive season opening win, uh, they were looking to build on that. Jacksonville State had had a quite a large winning streak before that game, correct? Yes. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but you're right. They, they have dominated the conference for years. Um, but uh, SEMO really took it to them, played exceptionally well. 
um, but then stubbed their toe uh, in some other games, which ended up costing them uh, the conference championship. But overall, had a fantastic year, made the FCS playoffs, won a game in the playoffs, which is a first for the history of the program, and uh, then went out to Weber State and got beat, uh, which obviously Montana State's well-versed in uh, or well-knowledgeable of Weber State and how good they are. And so, uh, uh, but uh, Southeast Missouri State looked really, really good in their season opening win over Southern Illinois. And uh, they're looking to build on that. So when I was, I was looking at the information, uh, Jacksonville State had won 36 games at that point in the Ohio Valley Conference. And they were ranked number four nationally at the time that SEMO knocked them off. And, and I was looking at that game. Yeah, they really did take Jacksonville State to the woodshed for sure. Yeah, um, Coach Tom Matukowicz is in his sixth year with the Red Hawks, and I believe they have beaten nationally ranked opponents five times in his six years. Um, he really – it took him a while to get the program going because Southeast Missouri State uh, does not have a huge budget, does not have incredible facilities. It's a cha- Historically, the program has not been very good. In fact, as a Division One program, they've never had consecutive winning seasons. And so this year, they're really trying to do that to, to set another notch in their, in their history making. Um, but uh, the Red Hawks under Coach Matukowicz, uh, they were competitive in the first four years, but they had losing records. They broke through last year with nine wins. And um, they haven't, they've won eight consecutive home games, which that won't be relevant against Montana State. But uh, it does say something when you can string together eight consecutive wins at home uh, at any level, it's impressive. I got a chance to watch SEMO on Thursday night. And the thing that jumped out to me was not necessarily their offense, but their defense looked big and fast. Uh, I know they have Buck Buchanan, the winner, is it Zach Hall? And uh, yeah. that guy is just I mean, in number five, right? If, am I getting that correct? Yes. Yes. What can we expect from the defense there? Well, it, it is a very aggressive defense. Um, now, they got off to a really slow start. The first quarter and a half uh, Thursday, they did not play well defensively. Southern Illinois was moving the ball exceptionally well against them. But then they made adjustments and they ran off 30 consecutive points against Southern Illinois and uh, really shut them down the rest of the way. Now, last year, they led the nation in turnover margin. um, And so that was kind of their bread and butter. And they've always gotten they pressure the quarterback really, really well um, Mm -hmm. from the the scheme that they run. Um, But they do have 10 starters back from last year's defense. And they played very, very well in the second half of uh, their season opening game. But yes, Zach Hall is a uh, middle linebacker, senior, um, and was the National Defensive Player of the Year last year. Opened this year with 19 tackles against Southern Illinois. Um, (laughs) He had had 22 tackles against Arkansas State last year, and Arkansas State's an FBS program. So uh, the guy is really, really good. Um, He's very aggressive, and it's it's interesting because coach Matukowicz says he's better mentally than he is physically. Like that's what really separates him is he can analyze a play and make the decision on where to go quicker than anybody else he's ever coached. Well, that's so important from that linebacker position to be able to do something like that. Yes, it is. He's a very, very bright individual. uh, And then obviously he's athletic and strong and, and likes to hit people as well. So uh, you're going to see him a lot, but in all honesty, their entire linebacking core uh, is experienced and good as well. Justin uh, Swift is very good at rushing the quarterback. Oh, Margaret Douglas is good. And so uh, he's not alone on that defense at all. It's not like it's a one man band, um, but their, their front seven is stronger than their secondary. Um, but their linebacking core is really, really good. Well, you mentioned that they have the ability to get to the quarterback, which will be interesting to see how that plays out as Montana State is still starting a redshirt freshman, now making his second career start. Uh, so I don't know how that's going to play out. It'll be interesting to see that matchup for sure, though. 
Well, Montana State has a pretty experienced offensive line, if I remember correct. Is that That's right? That's correct. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it, it'll be interesting uh, against a very experienced defensive front uh, from Southeast Missouri State. So that'll be a fun uh, aspect of play um, for the fans. Don't watch the ball, watch the line. And whoever is winning that battle will go a long way in winning the game because that is going to be a really, really interesting matchup. Yeah, I, one way I see that the Bobcats will try to confuse SEMO and pretty much every opponent on the schedule is we'll probably run three to four quarterbacks out of various wildcat formations. And it's just, uh, we didn't see as much of that at Texas Tech as we expected, but I think a lot of us are thinking maybe that was just by design just to keep things vanilla and not to put too much on tape. And our stud wide receiver, Travis Johnson, who was a converted quarterback to wide receiver, definitely is one of the guys who is a catalyst in that wildcat formation, but he was out with an injury at Texas Tech. So I think the Bobcats will definitely rely on the running game and lots of various quarterback wildcat formations to try and keep the pass rush at bay. Well, if indeed there's a weak area of the SEMO defense, it would be in the secondary. Um, And and I say that relatively speaking because they are a good secondary, but they're not as good as the front seven. And so um, if I were Montana State, I would try to exploit the secondary uh, to the, the best of my ability. And Southern Illinois had success early in doing that. Um, so that will be a matchup to see if you guys can throw the ball uh, over the top of that secondary because they are susceptible uh, at that uh, in moments. Hey, Tom, tell us about your quarterback. Uh, when I was watching him, he looks like he's going to be a headache for us over here at Montana State. He can run, he can pass, and he's a quick decision maker. Um, help, and, and I'm going to need a little help with his name. I know his first name is Daniel, but could you help me out after that, please? <laughs> Santa Katarina. Santa Katarina is his last name. It's kind of a cool name, actually. Sounds like yeah. some cop on a TV show or something like that. <laughs> but uh, here's, what you need, here's what you need to know about Daniel Santa Katarina. He's a Northern Illinois transfer. He actually started at Northern Illinois. And this was soft. when Northern Illinois played at Nebraska, he led them to a victory. Northern Illinois beat Nebraska in Lincoln uh, a few years ago, and he was the starting quarterback in that game. So um, he's not going to be wowed by any opponent that SEMO plays. Um, I'm not saying he's going to go undefeated against every opponent, but he's not going. there's no environment that's going to rattle him. Um, he does have a really good arm. He ran more the other night than he ran last year, but he, he did run some last year. Uh, but he really showed the ability to keep plays alive and be used as a running threat uh, the other night. And so he is athletic. He's not a huge guy. He's only about 6'1", um, but he has a nice arm, and uh, he's very, very experienced. And this is his fifth year of college football. Um, so he is he's going to be a weapon. Uh, he's going to be dangerous for Montana State. Um, the receiving core has an All-American candidate in it, and then a bunch of young guys behind that. Um, and so uh, it, it will be interesting to see if they can have success as a young receiving core against Montana State uh, like they did, did against Southern Illinois. Um, but, uh, but we'll see. But, yeah, Daniel Santa Catarina is the real deal. He's as good as any FCS quarterback in the country. Um, and so uh, he, he's going to be a nightmare for you guys to deal with. Well, we'll definitely – put his nerves to the test because gold rush is definitely the biggest environment that we have as a fan base all year. Just everyone wears gold throughout the stadium. It's a sellout. Usually it's kind of the annual tradition we've been going for. Well, what would you say fully about 10 years now? Yeah, that's about right. It's night game. There's probably gonna be about 20,000 people there. Uh, first, awesome. first home game of first home game of the season. So it's going to be uh, the cra- The crowd is just electric during the game It's my personal favorite game. That we have. It's the best one outside of Cat Grizz every year, no matter who the opponent is. Cool. I'm looking forward to watching it then. Yeah, that'll be fun for you to be there. So, another question I have. So, uh, Simo is replacing, uh, I'm sorry, is, is it Marquis Murray? Was that his name? Marquise Murray? Terry. Marquise Terry. Terry. Um, was the Ohio Valley Conference Offensive Player of the Year. And that was one of my keys to watch the other night was the running game. 
because obviously um, when you lose uh, an All-American running back, it, it, you're going to be impacted. Um, but they had a couple of – they ran three guys, and they ran them equally. I think one had 16 carries, another one had 13, and another had 12. Um, but two of those guys were experienced from last year. So uh, it wasn't – I mean, they, they had a little bit bigger role the other night than they did last year, but it wasn't like they didn't play last year. And so um, they ran the ball really, really well. But, you know, having said that, Montana State's defense is expected to be better than Southern Illinois. Um, but those three guys uh, really ran the ball well. They, they ran physical. There were times that they ran through tackles. They ran over people. And so that's a trait of SEMO football is they do play – they practice physical, and then they play physical. So they are – they're little running backs, but they're thick. And so they will, they will punish you when you try to tackle them. So I'm not overly concerned with the run game based on their ability. If indeed SEMO has a problem running the football, it'll be due to the inexperience of their offensive line. They, they have uh, uh, four new starters on their offensive line. And then they had a couple of banged up injuries the other night that happened during the game. And so they had to move some people around. So, Unlike Montana State that has a lot of experience on their offensive line, Southeast Missouri State does not, which obviously it doesn't matter who you have back there running the ball. If you don't create holes, then they're not going to be able to run the ball. So if indeed SEMO has trouble running the ball, it'll be because of the offensive line, not because of those three running backs. Well, that will definitely be a key matchup to watch because Montana State's one of the supposed strengths obviously we have some new guys along the line but we have a big front seven with some uw university of washington transfers that go about 66 299 right in the middle of nose uh, uw transfer there our buck ends are about 260 and 240 so it'll be interesting to see how the offensive line uh the new offensive line for simo handles the talented but yeah. yet unproven defensive line for the bobcats Exactly. And so I'd be watching the line a lot, no matter who has the ball, because that should be an interesting matchup and go a long way in determining who wins and loses this game on both sides of the ball there. Who's maybe one other person to watch on the SEMO offense for the Bobcat fans to keep an eye on? Well, Christian Wilkerson is an All-American wide receiver, uh, preseason All-American. But I'll tell you who really jumped out at me in his, uh, it was his second career start, but really it was his first playing a major role. And it was a sophomore wide receiver named Aaron Allstott. And he's 6'4", and he's long and athletic. He's about 210, so he's strong. And he had five receptions against Southern Illinois, and some of them were really tough catches. And so I know what Christian Wilkerson's going to do. He's an All-America. He's phenomenal. But if, if Aaron Allstott, ends up hurting you guys uh that wouldn't surprise me at all but that's somebody that uh montana state fans need to watch number 85 and he's going to i mean if he hurts you then that's really bad because i know for a fact christian wilkerson's going to get five or six catches and there's nothing you can do about that so tom before we wrap this up um i'm I've just been wondering, what's the narrative over there in Missouri when you guys are coming over here to Bozeman? What are you guys talking about? Well, it's a chance to play a really good uh, program as another measuring stick because, like I said earlier, SEMO has never strung together consecutive winning seasons in the history of its division or in its Division One history, which dates back to 1990. And so everybody is curious: Is this team for real? Is this program for real? And if indeed they can go out, even if they lose to Montana State, but they play them really competitively and, you know, it's a game with five minutes to go, that's still a sign that, hey, SEMO uh, football is for real this year um, because Southern Illinois is a good program. They have a $26 million budget as opposed to SEMO that has a $12 million budget. And so, um, but they only won two games last year. And so, People are still a little bit like, well, we want to see how you do against somebody really, really good. And Montana State is just that. If if SEMO can go out to, to Bozeman and play you guys competitively, even if they lose, that's a sign that, hey, this is this team is for real. Now, if they win, then it's really, really everybody's going to be going gaga over that. Well, I think if 
uh, we win, it's going to be huge for us as well because I, when, what I saw and and what your record was last year and what you guys have been doing this last last season is is no joke. Nine and four is <laughs> phenomenal, oh, and you're and right. You're yeah, right. it's going to be a, a a showdown in Bozeman for sure. And I was telling Thorny before we got on here, I only game I think that could rival this in our gold rush games was our South Dakota state game a couple of years ago when South Dakota state, I believe was third in the nation when we played them here in Bozeman, we ended up losing that game as a nail biter. But uh, man, I love when we have these top level games for gold rush, the atmosphere is just going to be wild. You know, man, I'm just really looking forward to it. I mean, I, I, I had nothing, I had nothing to base anything on when I watched them on Thursday night, but what I saw was really impressive. Yeah, I think they are the real deal, but you know how fans are. They're kind of skeptical until you really uh, face a real measuring stick, and Montana State is that, and, and especially flying all the way out there and that sort of thing. So uh, you're right. It, I think it'll be one hell of a great game. Uh, I really do. I don't think it will be a blowout one way or the other. And so uh, the fans are going to get their money's worth. And, and if the atmosphere is as crazy and wild as you guys say it is, which I'm sure it is, that will just be an awesome night to be a part of. Well, for sure. I'm I'm excited for you to come out just to take in the game, check out Bozeman as a city, and I think you're going to really have a good time. Whether win or lose, the game should be a good game. Yeah, it should. But uh, I get paid whether they win or lose, so uh, as long <laughs> as I get paid, that's what matters. So. Nice. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> hey, Tom, we want to thank you for coming on, man. It was a pleasure talking with you. No problem. Anytime. Uh, I'll have to follow the Bobcats all season long. Maybe you'll have me on later and I'll provide some analysis of the Bobcats. <laughs> there Absolutely. you go. You'll probably be an expert after watching the game, I imagine. <laughs> you know what? Hey, who knows? They could be a playoff matchup again. That, that would be kind of cool. It very well could be. You never know how the FCS playoffs are going to shake out. That's right. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. I really appreciate it. Yep. And travel safe. And yeah, thanks again. Take care. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. All right. Well, that was our discussion with Tom Davis of SEMOball.com. You can find him on Twitter at at SEMOBallTom. That is his handle. It was a fun interview, and it was exciting to have him on. What did you think of that interview? I was excited to hear some guy who was excited about sumo ball, <laughs> which he oh, really man. was. <laughs> he, he was genuinely like, he's excited. He's really excited about the team. And I think he's excited to come to Bozeman. It was interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't know it was going to be the gold rush game. So when we were telling him about that, he seemed pretty excited to come up to that big atmosphere like that. All right. Well, it's time to move on to some of our traditional things that we do at the very end of our podcast. Let's start with the golden koozie award. What do you think about that, Thorny? Well, that's not traditional. This will be our first time reading a question that was submitted to their uh, hopefully win a golden koozie. And we did have a winner from Troy. Um, I apologize in advance. McGillivray. McGillivray. There we go. McGillivray. Troy McGillivray. So he asked a question for each of us. And his question to you, Foley, was what is your favorite restaurant and or brewery to visit in the Coeur d'Alene, Spokane area? That would have to be Perry Street Brewery here in Spokane on Perry Street. Uh, it's just close to my school that I teach to, or teach at, excuse me. The head brewer, it was a brewer at Big Sky Brewery in Missoula. So their beer is not like theirs, but it's, it's a good to go so i'm gonna i'm gonna say perry street is that where you do a lot of the show notes for this show that's true on sunday nights i go there quite often and get my growler filled and do some research for our show <laughs> not a bad environment to do some research not at all it's great okay and troy's question to me was what is my favorite dark beer right now and i had to think about that like i haven't purchased anything in the last couple years that really blew my socks off since I moved out to Washington. But the one that I keep coming back to, and I'm going to have to answer that, is the Iron Horse Irish Death, which is a Scotch Ale from Iron Horse, which I believe is in uh, Ellensburg, Washington. 
And they make a pretty good one, and it's pretty much available anywhere. You can get it at Costco over here. And it, it's a really good, and it, it pretty much rivals Cold Smoke to me. So it's definitely probably my favorite scotch I've had outside of Montana. Nice. Those are the questions. Good job. Uh, well, good job. Thanks for emailing us, Troy. Uh, we will be reaching out to you to get your information to send you the first ever Golden Koozie. Congratulations. Nice job, Troy. Thanks. All right, Thorny. Let's move on to a little buy or sell. Or do you want to hit bold predictions? Completely your call. Uh, let's do bold predictions. All right. Let's revisit our bold predictions from last. That's right. Yeah, we week. haven't done that yet. All right, Thorny. Your bold prediction from last week for Texas Tech was we would rush for 200 yards. 127. Didn't quite get not real close. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't help that we ran Casey Bauman 10 times for 13 yards. Right. He also had a second prediction of Bowman would throw more TDs than picks. And that one was correct. That and was that correct. was a little surprising to me. So nice job, Bauman. All right, fully. Uh, my first bold prediction was we would have a passing touchdown, which was correct. He only had one, but it sufficed my prediction there. And the last one I had was we would score greater than 21 points. Sadly, we did not. So both of our bold predictions about Casey Bauman came true, and everything else was garbage. All right, Thorny, let's do a bold prediction going into SEMO. Why don't you start? I think we win this by two scores. Do you have another one? They said a bold prediction. A bold prediction. Yes, I gave you one. <laughs> a bold prediction. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> well, I have two, so I'm going to read both of them. Okay. Uh, my first one is, we'll go into a half down, but we come out winning. And then my second one is, CB throws three. CB. I like it. And yeah, that's. I think that's in the realm of possibilities. Why not? Yeah. I think my first one is going to be spot on, though. I think we're going to have a slow first half. And then we're going to come out guns blazing second half. So classic Bobcat, classic gold rush game right there. For some reason, I'm feeling the opposite right now. My my mood is the defense is going to be irritated from their game in Texas Tech. They're going to come out against an offensive line that's not ready for the physicality that they're going to bring. And I think we're just going to come out of gates and take a tumor right off the bat and never look back. I hope I hope you're right. <laughs> All right, let's play a little bit of buy or sell. How about that? And then we'll wrap it up. Sounds Sound good? good. All right, buy or sell, Thorny. You're on the hot seat. Gold Rush is the best atmosphere for MSU football games. Outside of Cat Grizz, yeah. Nope. Um, well, I'm, well, I'm selling Cat Grizz in there. You're selling that? Yeah, Cat Grizz is better. All righty. Buy or sell Nike games. Bye. Love it. I love night games. I know it sucks for people traveling away from the game, but how awesome are night games? I love night games. So something about the way the lights hit the field and I don't know. I just love it. All right. Last last one I have. Buy or sell the chance to play UVM during Gold Rush. Sell. Why? Because Gold Rush is our best game outside of the CAC. So we need something else. Like that would take take away our our non is awesome atmosphere that we're able to cultivate the last 10, 12 years, however long it's been going. Hmm. Fair enough. Throwing you off the hot seat, buddy. Whew. Beer time. All right. Fully by ourselves. Gold Rush. Has the best atmosphere for MSU football games. I'm totally buying that. Gold Rush is my favorite game of the season, including Cat Grizz. I think, and here's why: Cat Grizz gives me too much anxiety. I I can't handle it. Like it, it just made, if I knew we were going to win, I would still be anxious about the game. And so, I love Gold Rush. Uh, it's a fun atmosphere. It's just it's prime time for Montana State football. So I'm buying Gold Rush. Night games. I love night games. That's an easy buy for me. Reminds me of back when I went to CMR. I love Friday night football. I love night games. I love the lights. I love the energy it brings. 
Uh, MSU should do three night games this season, easily. And then last one, the chance to play M- or U of M during Gold Rush, I'd buy that as well. There's a certain thing about playing the Grizz at the last game of the regular season. Uh, why not switch it up? Play it, play it in the middle, play it in the front. I think have one of them at Gold Rush would be an advantage to us. And just think about that. If if we played uh, U of M right away, how different the feeling of the season would, would go, right? So um, we don't have this huge game looming at the end of November that could be for the whole marble. So I think that's kind of like why people like it. But I think that's the thing that I don't like about it. <laughs> it's, it just feels too big. <laughs> um, that's why it's so big, though. Like, that's part of the allure is, like, this is huge. It's yeah, I know. Oftentimes I'm not, for the playoffs. I'm not be... Not many people are going to agree with me on that, but that's just how I feel. I'd play uh, the Grizz at Gold Rush. I'd play him, you know, I don't know if I'd want to play him first game of the season, kind of like how Colorado and Colorado State do, uh, but uh, why not switch it up? Counterpoint, there's going to be a lot of maroon in your Gold Rush. That's, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, we, <laughs> we couldn't call it Gold Rush if it was a Cat Grizz game. We just have to call it the Cat Grizz, but a, cat, a night Cat Grizz game. You know, early season, warm weather, that could be fun. That would be awesome. That I can complete. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have it earlier in the year because I can, I can see the merits of that. But yeah, the gold rush wouldn't be gold because there's going to be, you know, thousands of Grizz fans there, and they're not wearing anything resembling gold. That's for sure. All right, Thorny, time to wrap this up. Give us some call to action stuff. Call to action. Well, all right. So follow us on Twitter. RR Catcast is the handle there. We're on Facebook under R&R CatCast as well. And really, that's about it. It's our only call to action we have. Give us a follow. Give us a like. Give us a review. All that good stuff if you enjoy the content. Thanks for joining us, guys. Go Cats. Go Cats.